We're going to be in, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, continuing this journey as, as Jesus walks, that, we, that we're just walking with him down the same paths that he's walked in the order that he walked them. So in, uh, we come to Matthew chapter 12 in this, uh, in this story. beginning with, uh, with verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to des uh, desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall, shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast out the same, or cast them. Uh, so you, you, you be their judge. So Jesus continues. Jay, would you read from there, verse 28, and go, to, go through 37. Thank you, Jay. I'm going to address just verses 22 through 30 tonight, but uh, it, it all is a continuing part of one message. Uh, if I, I apologize, but, uh, you know, I got to the office a while ago and I didn't have my glasses. So I was doing pretty good while the writing was in black, and when it turned to red, it was like it disappeared. So... <laughs> So, uh, and it was working for a while, but then it's like, nope, I can't see it well enough to read it. The, the story starts 
in a, in a way that we have kind of almost reduced to non-reality. Here was a person who was brought to Jesus. And, and what I would tell you, whether we look specifically at the fact that this person was blind or that this person couldn't speak, we know something very directly. Very directly, we understand that, the, that their limitations, their difficulties, the problems that they were facing was very directly related to the fact that there, was, that there was something dark and demonic at work within that life. Now, we don't, we don't have any struggle, we shouldn't have any struggle recognizing that, that this darkness, that this demon that Jesus ultimately addresses is causing difficulty and hardship within this individual life. Now, I, I, I'm not a person who looks for demons behind every rock. I'm not a person who looks for demons behind every issue within a person's life. But I can tell you, if we deny the reality of it, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to miss a tremendous difficulty that's happening within our world today because if it's, if it's happening here and having to be dealt with by Jesus, I want to tell you it's happening within our day and time as well. And I can share stories with you and I can share, you know, testimonies with you of moments of tremendous encounter when, when that darkness has just flies up in your face and you realize when you see, when you see that, that form and there's no eyes there, there's darkness, you realize very specifically and you know who you're dealing with. If we believe today that, that he is not active and working and seeking to destroy, then we, we, we're denying the fact that, that there's there's even a presence, and I want to, there's some things that have to be addressed within this passage. And if we don't recognize, you know, I can, I, can, I can assure you with all truth, you can go to the most Baptist churches, and you can stay for five years, and you can stay for ten years, and you can stay for twenty years, and they're never going to address the reality of, of, of demonic reality within the, within the world today. Yes, sir. Well, and, and we shouldn't be surprised because if, if we're not going to address it, if we're not going to deal with it, where's the safest place for them to reside? We talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago. How can an inferior being, and Satan is the inferior being, please don't get confused or confounded. Between us and Satan, we are the superior being. Why? What makes that true? Because, yeah, because only one of the two of us has the capacity to hold the Holy Spirit within us. And greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. So we understand that we're a superior being. How, how can then an inferior being have such control and have such a negative effect on a superior being? Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, for this reason, I don't want you to be ignorant of Satan's devices. How can an inferior being have such a destructive force within a superior being? Ignorance. 
And then he addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, how to deal with it. Well, I want to tell you the, the difficulty of what's, what happens within church today, if you ignore it, then we don't teach spiritual warfare. And if we don't teach spiritual warfare, every time that there's deliverance, every time there's healing, every time there's salvation, every time there's baptism, and, and Satan comes against any move that somebody's making and they don't know how to fight back, then we wonder why they were saved and we don't see them again, why they were healed and, 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 and seem to have grown invisible or delivered and, and their life seems to go back into what, into what has happened before. It's because they were, they, we missed the moment to teach them about spiritual warfare. And, and, and again, if, if, you, if you want Satan to leave you alone, then you, then you continue under a broken identity. You continue under a name that, that, he, that God didn't give you, that man gave you. You continue to think on the things of man rather than the things of God, as, as Peter was doing when... Jesus said, you know, I'm going to be taken away and I'm going to be crucified. And, Jesus be, and Peter began to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Your mind is on the things of men and not on the things of God. You're agreeing with the, the thoughts that men have and not agreeing with the thoughts that God has. And I can tell you it's chronic within the, within the Christian church. It's chronic within believers that we come to, into agreement with the things of men and not the things of God. This is the reality of a battle that we, that we within the Christian church have almost ignored and don't even understand exist. But I want to tell you, if, if, if you want an introduction to it, come to my office sometime in one of those counseling sessions and watch the move of Satan as, as he begins to be threatened and how he begins to scream and how he begins to cry and how he begins to attack. And you'll understand the reality of, of, of the necessity of spiritual warfare. It is powerfully, powerfully real. But I want to tell you something. How easily did Jesus deal with it? He didn't wave his arms. He didn't, he didn't say a long prayer. He didn't chant. He didn't do anything. He made a command and, and the demon had to leave. And sometimes by the, by the way we carry on, we glorify and bring, and bring something to the, to the moment that's really not there. Because all you have to say to anything demonic, anything dark, is get out of my way. And in the name of Jesus, and he has to. If we don't recognize that we're the superior being, then something, uh, man, we, we leave people in a mess. Uh, I won't point to the person out, but uh, I was called to, to a home, and the person happens to be here tonight. I was called to a home, and, and, I, and I got there. Uh, Shorty and I went, there was another, there was another pastor there, and uh, a young lady lying on the couch, and, and you could tell, I mean, under whose authority she, she was under. And, I, and I, I sat there on the couch with her, and I said, I want to tell you what's fixing to happen. And we cleared people out of, out of the house, and I said, I want to tell you what's fixing to happen, because the person that, that, is, that is in control of you right now, that's fixing to be broken. And I want to tell you, when we began to pray, that things began to rock and move, and, uh, and you know, she, I mean, the oppression was so bad, she couldn't breathe. I mean, she had no breath in her. She was gasping. And as that, as that darkness began to leave, that breath began to come back, and life began to come back. 
I mean, it's recognizing the enemy, not glorifying him. It's recognizing and dealing with it. And I want to tell you, please do not walk in fear. You, you have an authority in you, and all you have to do is speak in the name of Jesus. It, it is not designed to terrify. I can tell you in this moment, what, what gave Jesus the authority to, to speak and, and, and command what he commanded? It's because he had the Holy Spirit in him. What gives us the same authority? Why, wouldn't, why didn't Jesus panic here? Why didn't Jesus rear back? Why didn't, why didn't Jesus have to regroup and, come and, and get prepared? Yeah, because he, he knew the, the authority that the Holy Spirit gave him, and he knew that he could address any situation in front of him, so there was never a moment when, when anything like this happened that catches Jesus off guard. And I don't care whether you're the youngest one here or the oldest one here, those moments should never startle you. And some will go through life and, and, and nothing will ever happen and there'll never, there'll never be that moment. Because it's not the ministry to which you're called. But, but if it does, please recognize two words. Jesus Christ is all you have to say. And, I, and, and you have authority under that name. But what I want us to get out of this message, again, I promised as I started through these, I wasn't going to go back to the same, same things that are usually brought out of these messages I'm studying them kind of through another means so that I can actually bring something to this that hasn't been here before. In verse 23, it says, All the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But they asked that as a question, really formed in doubt and, and not in certainty. They weren't saying it as a word of testimony. Uh, but they asked it that way because they were already growing convinced of who Jesus was but they were also recognizing that the Pharisee was there listening. So they were kind of caught in this strange position of wanting to come into agreement with Jesus, but knowing that if I come into agreement with Jesus, it's fixing to cost me something. If I come into agreement with Jesus and I, and I, and I get on board, then the Pharisees who have great influence over my life are fixing to, I'm fixing to hear that voice as well. Where do we stand in the move between soul and spirit? Where do we stand in the things of God when we know that it's originated in the spirit, but our mind begins to work and our emotions begin to work? What's happening in that same moment? Exactly the same thing. We want to come into agreement with the things that we've understood in the spirit, but that other voice of our flesh begins to speak and we're hung exactly where they're hung. We're stuck exactly where they're stuck. And I want to tell you that it's, it's only when we begin to recognize that the voice, that spiritual voice, a spiritual voice speaking to our spirit, and when we begin to move in, in, in obedience to that spirit and dismiss the reality of the flesh, that victory comes. These people were living in, in, in un un unusual turmoil, wanting to confess who Jesus was and knowing that it was fixing to cost them something. So they hesitated, and they didn't do it. But when the Pharisees heard it, when they heard what was going on, they made the, the accusation that's so boldly made that Jesus is casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub, of Satan himself, the prince of devils. Here's two things that they didn't intend to imply. 
They did, though. If they're going to say, he does what he does, he's casting out a demon in the name of Beelzebub, here's something they were confessing. They're confessing that Jesus is performing a miracle. He's doing something by an authority bigger than himself. So that's, that, they're, whether they like it or not, they're making that confession. And they're also making a confession, and this, again, this is the part that the Christian church today is really struggling with, and, and people would much prefer if this topic was completely left alone. But they're, not only did they recognize that Jesus had done something by an authority outside of himself, they, by these words, recognized that there is a, there is a demonic reality within this world. They spoke of a de demonic reality within this world. Now, we could dismiss that very quickly and very readily because it came from the Pharisees if Jesus hadn't immediately agreed with it. I mean, Jesus brought validation to the fact that there is that reality. And I don't know how it has gotten removed from within Christian teaching because I would much rather, and I, and I wish I had this to do again, I... I would rather, you know, and, and, and Debbie has caught some criticism over this. And every time she catches criticism, I ask them, just send them to me. Because my instruction, my guidance to her is if we don't teach them, by the time they get old enough at an age-appropriate level to come into the reality of spiritual warfare, that, then, then we're losing a generation of warriors. They have to know what the weapons of love, of faith, of goodness, of kindness they have to know what those weapons are, and they have to know there's a purpose behind them. And if we don't start them when they're pretty little, then we're going to have a generation of adults very similar to what we have today who would rather not talk about it than address it. But the Pharisees said it's a reality. Jesus said it's a reality. And for us to deny it, I don't know, how, I don't know on, what, on what ground we stand, but Jesus was very much ready to deal with it. Uh, this belief, again, would be small consequence, but Jesus, except in the way that Jesus responded. And he simply tells them, if I do this in the name of Satan, how, if I cast out a demon in the name of Satan, how can a house divided against itself stand? How can a household, whether it be a nation, whether it be a church, whether it be a family, that begins to have inner turmoil and attack itself, an intestine struggle, how can that family, that nation, the church, survive if it's fighting against itself? I mean, we know the answer. Jesus made it very obvious. They can't stand if that's what's going on. <clears throat> and then he asked this question in verse 27. He says, but what about your children? What about your children? Now, I love the way that, that Jesus is masterful in his conversation. He says, your sons are your children. Now, this, this, these are disciples of the Pharisees that he's talking about. Your pupils, your students. Jesus says, in whose name do they do it? So, again, this is a very strange truth because apparently... The disciples 
of the Pharisees, the students, had also been casting out demons. And Jesus says, under whose name do they do it? So, and it puts the Pharisees in a very strange position. Again, the language of the Old Testament makes this very obvious that this was being done. Uh, so Jesus admits that the Pharisees and their students were doing it. And then he says to the Pharisees, they've got it right. Who, and because if you were asking the Pharisee, your students are doing it, who's, whose name are they doing it in? What, do the, what are the Pharisees going to have to say? What's their answer going to have to be? It's going to have to be God. And then Jesus says, if that's the truth, your students have just become your teachers. Because they have the faith to do what you're denying in this moment. And it's masterful how Jesus brings them into this, into this truth when they didn't even see it coming. And then in verse 28, he says, but I cast out devils by the Spirit of God. Notice, what he, notice, notice those words. He doesn't say, I do it in the name of Jesus. He doesn't say, I do it by, I do, I do it by anything other. He says, I do it by the Spirit, because the Spirit's what gave him authority. And then he says, then, or I have no doubt, the kingdom of God is coming to you. And here's the twist, and I'll end with this. This is, this is the best part of the story. He's saying, I've just proven to you by my argument, by my questions, that this didn't come by Satan. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's turned the argument on them, and they, can't, they can no longer stand there and say, he does it in the name of Beelzebub because he's turned it on them. And then he comes back and says, and if I do it, in the name of God, if I do it by his authority, then the very person that you're denying, the very person that you, that you fear the most because of your religion is standing here in front of you. The Messiah has come. What a strange way that he brought that truth because, he, I mean, he, he tells them the kingdom of God has come unto you. Isn't that something? It, it, it takes a minute to mentally get around this story. Because he has debunked their argument that he did it by the name of Satan. But they're still faced with a reality because they just got through confessing that he did something by an authority bigger than himself. See the point? They, they said he does what he does in the name of Beelzebub, so they're recognizing that he's done something spectacular but now he hasn't do, he's not doing it in the name of Beelzebub. By whose name does he do it? He said, you're, in whose name are your students doing it? They're doing it in the name of God. I'm doing it in the name of God. Guess what then? That the person that you don't want to believe has come, the Messiah that you, that you refuse to accept is suddenly standing. The deliverer is in your midst. Not at all the reality of what they wanted to hear. But I, that's not the shocking part to me. That's not the shocking part. 
How many of us were saved here by the power of God? And we confess it quite readily. That we were, that we were saved because the Holy Spirit brought the reality of sin, the reality of death, brought the truth of Jesus so that you and I could be confronted with the, with the truth, with the choice. We made that choice under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he says, if that's true then the spirit that you are refusing has already come. Why are, we, why are we refusing to embrace the reality of the Holy Spirit when we're confessing out of one side of our mouth that we were saved by the work of the Holy Spirit? And it's as ridiculous a conversation as Jesus is having with the Pharisees. Every one of us, you know, we, we understand quite readily that none of us were saved without the preemptive work of the Holy Spirit. It's, I mean, I can point that in page after page. That by the work of the Holy Spirit, conviction came on your life that you were lost and that there was a consequence to sin because who else would speak that to you? Jesus says, I'm going away. It didn't come from my voice. It came because I sent the Spirit to you to bring you into all truth. So by the work of the Spirit, conviction came. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we were introduced to someone named Jesus who, was our, who would be our Savior. And because of those two things, we're faced with a choice. Do I stay in my sin or do I accept the salvation that, this, that is being offered me? All of that by the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. We came through the gate because of the work of the Holy Spirit. How does this life have to unfold? By the same, by the work of the Holy Spirit. How in the world we have been able to and, and, and accomplish this within, within the church, not, I'm not talking outside, within the church, to successful, successfully remove the Holy Spirit from the work of God, I don't know how it happened. To believe that he was here to do this work, and from that point forward, Somehow we have been successfully able to remove the teaching of the Holy Spirit from the story. That's shocking, but real. And again, it may, it, it may not even resonate with you as being possible. But if you were to take, and you can kind of believe this or not, but if you were to take the last four sermons that I've preached on a Sunday morning and tried to play those in some form or fashion in 90% of the Baptist churches across this country, they would, uh, there would be outrage for one reason, because the Holy Spirit was taught. And I'm not kidding. That's the truth. And it's, so we look at this and say, how could, how could the Pharisees be so blind as to not recognize that God was in their midst. How can we be so blind but to recognize that the Holy Spirit has come? And everything we do, everything we do, say, approach, learn, comes at the hands of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm sending someone, and he's going to do in you and through you, with you, what I have only been able to do around you, he's going to be able to do in you.
and greater things will you be able to do than I've ever done. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage, knowing, Lord, that it's not an easy one to approach, that it's full of deep and profound truth. It's full of the reality of how you encountered darkness, how you encountered an enemy. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would take, first of all, first and foremost, that there was no fanfare around what you did to deliver this man and to heal him and to bring freedom to him by addressing what was going on in him. That there's no, there's no, there's no trumpet blast, there's, there's no crowds, there's just the reality of you facing an enemy and very quietly, but with great authority, addressing what was in front of you. And I thank you, Lord. I pray that we would take that away so that we would never be afraid, so that we, even younger and older, would understand that we have an authority in the name of Jesus that doesn't require fanfare. We just need to know what to say in the moment of those encounters to get, to get him out of our way. And I pray, Lord, that we would take that to heart, but also pray, Lord, that we would understand that we have these voices that speak in the back of our head as well making accusations and saying things about us. And I just thank you, Lord, that Jesus never even yielded to the words. He knew they weren't true because he knew he was the Prince of Peace. He knew who he was and he knew in whose name he worked. And so when the accusations were made, they didn't even, they didn't even cause him uh, to be upset. They, he, he didn't even process it mentally and emotionally. He addressed it with authority and with power because he could, because he understood who he was and in whose name he worked. I pray, Lord, that we would be equally ready at any time, at any moment, to be able to move within your name and to understand your authority that you've now given us by the same work of the Holy Spirit that you gave Jesus so that we could, too, by the work of his Spirit, release power and authority and we could see lives transformed as this man's was, but also that we could address those nagging voices of the Pharisees, that spirit of religion that always wants to come and silence the voices of power and authority. I just pray, Lord, that we would walk away from this message having great understanding of those things that you desire to reveal. In Jesus' name, amen.